I want to welcome you today, and today we're beginning the first part of a two-part series called Idolatry and Apostasy, looking at the Old Testament Kingdom of Israel. The more I study the Scripture, the more I see that the Old Testament always reveals Christ. In some way or the other, it always reveals the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. And don't think for a moment this is going to be some boring history lesson about Israel. It will not be. These two messages have great importance for the church that is struggling with modern day idolatry and apostasy. If you don't know what the word apostasy means, it is to fall away from that which you once held as true. Once you believed it and now you don't and you've separated yourself from it. And today, I want you to understand that by the time we leave today, I will unlock the mystery of this scene. There is an olive tree, and some branches are broken off. And it is a mystery that will be unlocked as we go to the Old Testament kingdom of Israel and study God's Word. So let's begin with King David. He's in the United Kingdom of Israel. We call it the glory days. It's the greatest amount of land that they possessed. And they were in a single kingdom, 12 tribes under one king. And God comes to King David, 1 Kings 2.1. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage, my son Solomon, and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws given in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their hearts and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. God promised David a dynasty of kings. Those, that dynasty would be from his lineage, from his bloodline. A dynasty of kings will follow after you, David. But the promise was conditional. To some degree, the promise was conditional. The word says, observe the requirements of the Lord. Here's David talking to his son Solomon, who will succeed him as king. He said, observe the requirements of the Lord your God. Follow all of his ways. Keep his decrees. Keep his commands. Keep his regulations and the law that has been passed down from Moses. Solomon didn't listen to his father David. It's a sad story, actually. Solomon did not listen to his father David. Solomon was given great wisdom from the Lord, but his heart was turned away. 
Now, I want you to understand something. Solomon had encountered God personally two different times, and God gave him supernatural wisdom and discernment. But the problem with Solomon was not his intellect. The problem with Solomon was his heart. His heart was turned away. His heart was turned away from God, away from, and when your heart is turned away from God, it won't be very long until your obedience will also turn away as well. So I ask you a question. What was it that turned Solomon's heart away from God? What was it that turned Solomon away from the very word of God that he received from his father, David? What was it? Idolatry and apostasy. And in Solomon's case, it came through his marriage to foreign wives. Foreign wives brought idolatry and apostasy into Solomon's life. Let me read it to you. 1 Kings 11.1. 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord clear, had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not, it's a clear instruction, you must not marry them because they will turn your heart to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. It would be his undoing. He insisted on loving these foreign women anyway. He had 700 wives and royal birth, of royal birth and 300 concubines. I'll just tell you, that verse makes me question his intellect as well. <laughs> and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart. L listen, this is fatal. In Solomon's old age, when he should have been his wisest, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshiped, now here comes the examples. He worshiped Ashra, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable God of the Ammonites. By the way, Molech is the God that they, were, they sacrificed their children to, their ancient form of abortion. Solomon, the son of King David, the king of Israel, worshiped Molech. It's hard to even comprehend that. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. And here comes this, at least in my mind, this grand finale, idolatry and apostasy. Verse 7, on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. So let me ask you a question. What do you think God would do to this son of David? He's a naughty boy, but whatever. 
What do, you, what do you think God would do to this son of David who has turned his pagan heart into idolatry? Ultimately, it's this question. Does it matter to God? These two things, idolatry and apostasy. Idolatry, his heart had been turned away from God. Ultimately, idolatry is your heart has been turned away from the love of God to something else, someone else. That's idolatry. And apostasy is he knew the truth. He held to the truth, but now he has abandoned the truth. God said, don't do it, and he did it anyway. So what does it mean? Does apostasy matter? Does idolatry matter to God? Does it matter? So let's go real right now. Church, today, does it matter? You're going to find out in this message, in this series, you're going to find out to God it matters. Maybe to you, you think it doesn't matter, but I'm telling you, to God, it matters. Will the sin of Solomon affect only Solomon? No. It will affect the entire nation. 1 Kings 11, verse 9. The Lord was very angry at Solomon. For his heart had turned away. There's the, the, the root of all idolatry. His heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And here's, here comes God's mercy. He had appeared. He had warned Solomon specifically. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods. But Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to Solomon, he said, since you have not kept my covenant and have, not, and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Now listen, there's a hint already in that sentence. He won't be of your bloodline. He won't be in the dynasty of David. Since you have kept, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. That's how much God loved David. I will take the kingdom away from your son, Solomon. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him, Solomon's son, I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David. Two reasons. Two reasons he doesn't just snatch it all away from him. Because of my servant David and because of the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. God's love for David was so strong and faithful that he waited until after the reign of King Solomon to tear the kingdom apart. But it would be torn apart. And there would be the northern kingdom referred to in the future as Israel and the southern kingdom referred to as Judah. But the judgment day finally came. And God is going to use the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh to announce the beginning of what we call the divided kingdom of Israel. Ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. And how will God do it? And, it, and as I go through this series, I want you to understand, it is very clear that the reason he's doing it has been identified. He's doing it because of idolatry 
and apostasy. But how will he do it? How will God tear the kingdom apart? His name is Jeroboam. And he is not the son of King Solomon. And he is not from the lineage of King David. And understand that God's promise to David that he brings to Solomon is one of your sons will always sit on the throne in Jerusalem. One of your sons, David, will always sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Well, here comes Solomon, and his apostasy and idolatry has now voided that promise for the whole of Israel. It still was held for Judah, but not for the whole of Israel. Here it comes. Jeroboam. Listen, church. Here's where the storyline gets important. He is not of royal bloodline. He's an outsider. He's not from the lineage of David or Solomon. He's an outsider. And yet God is going to pick this nobody guy and he's going to make him a king and give him the rights, listen, equivalent to that he offered to David and his kingdom. Here we go. 1 Kings eleven twenty nine. 29. One day as Jeroboam, he's the guy not from David's bloodline, no royal bloodline here. One day as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahijah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of, his new, of the new cloak that he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten of the tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. For Solomon, why, why are you doing this? Why are you tearing it into ten and two? Why, why are you doing this? For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Astra, the goddess of the Sidonians. Chemosh, the god of Moab. Do, do you have to guess at why God's doing this? It's idolatry. It's apostasy. He has worshipped Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David his father did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time for the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and whom obeyed my commands and decrees. I will, take, I will keep Solomon as leader for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son. And give ten of the tribes to a nobody like you, Jeroboam. Stay with me. His son, Solomon's son, will have one tribe so the descendants of David's servant, David my servant, will continue to reign. And that will happen in Jerusalem. Shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place of my name. God will keep Judah, the southern tribe in Jerusalem, under the Davidic 
bloodline lineage for the sake of David and for the sake of the city that is called by God's name. And I will place you, Jeroboam, on the throne of Israel, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. Now, here comes the most interesting part, really what made me write this series. He's looking at Jeroboam. This prophet Ahijah is looking at Jeroboam. He's a nobody. He's not of any royal bloodline. He's certainly not from David or Solomon's lineage. He says, verse 38, if you listen to what I tell you, if you follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, here it comes, here it comes then I will always be with you, Jeroboam, and I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David. What? And I will give Israel to you, a nobody without a royal bloodline. Anybody guess where this is going? Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, though not forever. And what's going to happen? Okay, this, this revelation of God, this anointing, appointing of Jeroboam through the prophet Ahijah, now has been official. What? You think Solomon's going to hear about it? Well, the next verse, verse 40. Solomon heard about it, and he tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. It's starting to sound much more like Democrats and Republicans today. And we're only in the second generation of the history of the kings of Israel. 1 Kings eleven forty-two. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. And when he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father, then his son Rehoboam. So I've got a Jeroboam over here, a nobody with no bloodline, and I've got a Rehoboam over here, and yes, it is confusing. But he's from the lineage of David, and he's got the royal bloodline. He succeeds his father Solomon as the king. Now understand, Rehoboam became the king of Israel. When he became the king, the kingdom was still united into one. There were still 12 tribes. He is from the lineage of David. The kingdom is still united, but not for long. Jeroboam, is way, he's already got the call. Jeroboam's already been told by God, I'm going to rip it out, ten are coming over to you. I'm giving you Israel. Jeroboam is waiting in the wings in Egypt, already announced by God through the prophet Ahijah. God is going to take ten tribes away from Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and give them to the adversary, Jeroboam, a totally different bloodline. Now, you got to get this bloodline thing. God has already announced he's going to take from the original bloodline and give it to a guy with no bloodline and offer him an equivalency to what he offered David. Can you see where this is going? From this point forward, the ten northern tribes are generally referred to in the Bible as Israel. The two southern tribes, which would be Benjamin and Judah, are referred to as Judah. 
Jerusalem, the city that bears God's name, is in Judah, under the king from the lineage and the bloodline of King David. Because of David, for the sake of my David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, he retained the Davidic bloodline in Jerusalem. Solomon's son Rehoboam makes some terrible decisions. I don't have time to go through them. Let me just tell you, he makes some terrible decisions, rejecting the wise counsel of the elders and listening to a bunch of young people who didn't have enough sense to give him good advice. And in that moment, the nation splits in two. It happens. The northern kingdom of Israel anoints Jeroboam, the nobody from no bloodline, as their king. And I'm all, I need to do something. Why is this happening? Because you get into the story and it's really easy to forget why all of this is happening. It is happening for singularly a reason. Idolatry and apostasy in the kingdom of God. Idolatry and apostasy has entered the kingdom of God. And does it matter? Does it matter to God? Does he say whatever? No, he doesn't say whatever. 1 Kings 12. 19. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. You see, he's tearing them apart. They refused to be ruled by a bloodline, a descendant of David. Now, I really needed to give you all of that today to get you where I really want to go today. The message to the church about idolatry and apostasy. Does it matter to God? You bet it does. Now, for today's main character, his name is Jeroboam. He's the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel. He is not, and I bet I'm going to keep pushing this so you get it. He is not from the lineage of David, but he is called by God. He is appointed by God through the prophet Ahijah. He has no royal bloodline. For all practical purposes, he's a nobody. He's a servant that will be made king. This is what God had told Jeroboam in that calling. I read it earlier. I'm going to read it again so that you understand what the offer of God is to this nobody, no bloodline guy. 1 Kings eleven thirty-eight. If you listen to what I tell you, Jeroboam, and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, Jeroboam, and if you obey my decrees and commands, Jeroboam, as my servant David did, then I will always be with you, Jeroboam, and I will establish an enduring dynasty for you, Jeroboam, as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you, Jeroboam. Whoa, what an offer. This is big. Is it incredible that God would offer this to a no bloodline, no royalty guy? Is this incredible or what? Just do what I tell you, and I will be with you as I was with David. Even though you're not in David's tree, even though you have no bloodline at all that is royal, I will make you great, and I will give you Israel. All right, pause. So put the picture of the tree up here. There you go. I took this picture in 2010. When I was in Israel in 2010, when you go in the Jaffa Gate of the old city, immediately when you go in the Jaffa Gate on the right-hand side is the oldest Christian church in Jerusalem. 
It's Christ's church in Jerusalem. It's the oldest Christian church there. Now understand that a Christian church in Jerusalem is, a, is an anomaly because it is Judaism's hub of the world. So there's all kinds of Jewish stuff, and there's quite a few big Catholic churches, but Protestant Christian churches, is, there's not very many. It's the oldest one there. And you walk in, and it's a beautiful chapel area, and that's the window up by the podium, kind of in behind where you would preach from. And I attended a church service there in 2010. I saw and understood and was forever moved by that picture in Jerusalem. Do you understand what that picture is? By the way, that church sits opposite, when you go into the Jaffa Gate, that church sits opposite of David, King David's citadel in Jerusalem. That church, that scene, that tree is Romans chapter 11. Do you understand? So let me tell you. This tree symbolizes it's in a Christian church. You would not see this in a Jewish synagogue. It's in a Christian church because it's found in the New Testament as God describes us. The tree represents Israel. And God's mercy and God's grace has broken off some branches. You see this branch? You see this branch here? God's mercy has broken off some branches from the tree to make room for some no-name, non-royal blood people to come and take a place on a tree of life in the children of God through Abraham called Israel. Now, you got to get this. That's what that picture is. This is why all of this story today matters. Are you ready? Here it comes. We are the Jeroboams in this story. We are the Jeroboams in today's message. A different bloodline than Abraham and the Jewish people. We are the nobodies with no royal blood that God has come to and made an incredible offer. I have broken off some branches in Israel, and I would be willing to you, for you to come and find a place on this tree of life in the kingdom of God. We're the Jeroboams. So in case you've now put it all together, let me read it to you. The Apostle Paul writes to a Gentile church in the New Testament this description of that tree in that church in Jerusalem. Romans eleven seventeen. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the children, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles... You know bloodline people. You Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. We're the Jeroboams in the story. So now you also receive the blessing God promised Abraham. Now you Gentiles, you now receive the blessing God promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you, he's talking to the Gentile church, but you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch. You're not the root. 
Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear. What could happen? Here it comes. For if God did not spare the original branches, those two branches laying on the ground, if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Idolatry and apostasy. Jeroboam was an outsider. No royal blood. Offered a place in the kingdom of Israel as the tree was broken in two. As the kingdom of Israel was split in two. The Gentile church. Listen, church, we are outsiders. We've been offered a place in the kingdom of God. We can become part of the children of God. When branches were broken off from Israel, you and I were offered the seat at the table at the kingdom of heaven. You can become a part of this tree of life. So here comes the question. You think, whoa, whoa, wow, wow, what an offer. What an offer he made to Jeroboam. What an offer he made to the church. Listen, do you understand what this is like? This is life itself. Eternal life can be yours. You can be called a child of God forever in his presence, in his kingdom. What an offer to Jeroboam. What an offer to the church. So how will they both end? How will they both end? Let me ask you a question. Some of you are students of the scripture and you know the answer. Some of you are not. What did Jeroboam do with this glorious offer of God? What has the Gentile church done with this glorious offer of God? That's why I preach this series. Because of the living, breathing word of God, I can answer both of the questions. I can tell you the end of Jeroboam. I can tell you the end of the church. I can tell you both. Are you ready? You don't want to hear it. I wish I didn't have to say it. They both end with idolatry and apostasy. Both of them. They end the same way. The glorious offer of God, both of them end with idolatry and apostasy. Let's begin with the apostasy and idolatry of Jeroboam. And then we'll end today with the idolatry and apostasy of the church. The first king of, the nor of northern Israel, after the nation becomes divided, is Jeroboam. This is after he receives God's offer to be a dynasty king. Jerusalem was the capital of the nation of Judah in the south. And Jerusalem had the temple of God. But now the nation is divided and they have a problem. Jerusalem has the temple. And the ten tribes to the north, they don't have a temple. What will the northern kingdom of Israel do about Jerusalem, God's chosen city, the capital? King Jeroboam makes a decision. He makes Shechem the capital city to the north. In essence, to replace Jerusalem, he makes Shechem the capital. But Jeroboam knows the people will want to worship God in Jerusalem because that's what, the, that's what the Old Testament law requires. You must only offer sacrifices in Jerusalem. So what's he going to do? He's got a problem. Here we go, 1 Kings 12, 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I'm careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. See, he gets it. 
When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam, that other guy, of Judah. And they will kill me and make him the king instead. He is totally disregarding the promise of God. And he's afraid of the people. The temple. What do we do about the temple worship in Jerusalem? You see, Jeroboam understood you can make a new capital city to the north in Shechem. But what about the temple of God? What about the Ark of the Covenant? What about the law of Moses? What about the presence of God? It's in Jerusalem. It's not in Shechem. What are we going to do about that? Before I read it, remember Jeroboam was offered a kingdom that was equivalent to that of King David. This is a big point for the Gentile church. This is the offer of a place on the olive tree. Uh, Jeremiah knows all of this when he starts making these decisions. I want, I want, I'm going to read it one more time. I think this is the third time I've read it. Verse 38. God had said this to him. If you listen to what I tell you. Church, how much I want the church to understand how important this is. If you will listen to what I tell you, if you will follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then you will always be with me and I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David. And I will give Israel to you. What an offer. But you got to listen. But you got to listen. Did King Jeroboam listen? No. When offered a place in the kingdom of Israel, a dynasty, no. When the Gentile church, listen, don't look at Jeroboam and say, what's the matter with you? Look at the church today and say, what's the matter with you? Did the Gentile church, outsiders, no royal bloodline, just like Jeroboam, did they, all, did they listen? When the, we were offered a place in the olive tree next to Israel, next to the children of Israel, will the church listen? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Idolatry and apostasy. That is the opposite of hearing the obe and obeying the Word of God. What is the opposite of hearing and obeying the Word of God? The opposite is idolatry and apostasy. It's exactly going the other way. So, here we go. What is King Jeroboam going to do? Now listen, for those of you who know the Holy Scriptures and you study the Scriptures, you know what I'm about to read, but I feel like a great deal of you, you have no idea what Jeroboam did in response to this great offer, which illustrates one of the major issues in the modern American church. You don't know the Word of God. And you don't know the Word of God because you don't read the Word of God. And because you don't read the Word of God, you have no idea how to listen and then obey. Here's what happens. 1 Kings 12, 28. So on the advice of his counselors, the king, Jeroboam, made two gold calves. How do you think this is going to go? He made two gold calves. He said to the people, it's too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. You don't need to go down there. That's another kingdom, another king. You don't need to go down there. It's too far anyway. You don't need to go to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt, these two golden calves. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either end of his kingdom. But this was a great sin. 
For the people worshiped the idols, traveling as far north as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people, those who were not from the priestly tribe of Levi, in direct violation of the law of Moses. He was ordaining people to be priests who God said cannot be priests. And Jeroboam instituted a religious festival in Bethel, held on the 15th day of the eighth month, in imitation of an annual festival of shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifice to the calves he had made, and he appointed priests from the pagan shines shrines he had made. So on the 15th day of the eighth month, a day that he himself had designated, Jeroboam offered sacrifices on the altar at Bethel, those at a golden calf. He instituted a religious festival for Israel, and he went up to the altar to burn incense. This is the guy who was offered the most incredible offer of all times. A nobody with a no bloodline offered a place in the kingdom of Israel in a royal bloodline. And what's he do? Let me review. King Jeroboam made two golden calf idols and placed them beside, on both ends of his kingdom. King Jeroboam told them to no longer, they didn't need to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship God. He told them that these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt, these golden calves. King Jeroboam erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people, those who were not from the priestly line of Levi, in direct disobedience to the law of Moses. King Jeroboam instituted a religious festival in Bethel, held on the 15th day of the eighth month, which was to substitute as an imitation of God's call to have a religious festival of shelters in Judah. Then, there at Bethel, he himself erected and offered sacrifices to the calves he had made, and he appointed priests for the pagan shrines he had made, burning incenses, incense to these pagan altars. Let me say this. In many ways, he replicated the sin of Solomon that brought the kingdom down in the first place. He's doing exactly the same thing that divided the kingdom, and he's doing it. Idolatry and apostasy. That was King Jeroboam's response to God's glorious offer of a kingdom that would be equivalent to that of King David. So I'm going to ask you again, does it matter to God? Does it matter? Idolatry. Have you ever noticed that the first two of God's Ten Commandments are about idolatry? It is the time in which your heart has been drawn away to someone other than Him, something other than Him. And I know right now there are people sitting in this room, maybe you're watching online, you say to yourself, I don't have a single gold calf in my house. But something else has your heart. But something else has your heart. It's idolatry. Does it matter to God? This began with Solomon and his foreign wives, false gods that led to the tearing apart 
of the entire nation. King Jeroboam had taken this idolatry of Solomon and magnified it among the people with these two golden calves that replaced God's deliverance from Egypt, rejecting God's way and creating man's way. One of the things that interested me is he said, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore, but the presence of God was in the temple in Jerusalem. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. You don't need to go to him. So he had to make a substitute. He had to make an idol. He had to make something that their heart could point toward apostasy, to turn or to fall away from that which was once held as truth. God's presence was in Jerusalem, and it was there and only there that the people were to bring their sacrifices and offering. The Word of God, the Word of truth, had been abandoned for the sake of convenience. The Word of God had been abandoned for the sake of self. And I'm going to ask you, what will God do with Jeroboam? What's he going to do? Some of you know. Some of you don't know. What will God do with Jeroboam? And what will God do with this apostasy and idolatry? Does it matter in the story of Jeroboam in this incredible offer? Will it matter to the church in this incredible offer? Will it matter? That, ladies and gentlemen, will be part two next week. There's your teaser for today. A man of God, an unnamed prophet of God from Judah is sent. I'm going to give you a teaser. He doesn't even have a name. He is sent by God to confront King Jeroboam in Bethel at the altar of the golden calf. In that scene, one of the most remarkable scenes in all of Scripture, in that scene, the prophet of God announces a prophetic judgment of God that will be fulfilled 360 years later. You don't want to miss part two. So here's the closing today. Today I have compared the reign of King Jeroboam to the church. Do you know why? So what did Jeroboam do with this glorious offer of God? A kingdom equivalent to that of David, a royal kingdom? What has the Gentile church done with this glorious offer of God? A place on the olive tree, the royal bloodline of Israel that I illustrate in this picture. What is the Gentile church done with this glorious offer to become the children of God that you and I, nobody's, no blood, no royal bloodline at all. We could be brought into the family of God, be part of the children of God and have eternal life and eat from the tree of life because of the living, breathing word of God. I can answer that question without my opinion. What did Jeroboam do and what will the church do with this offer? I told you earlier, we, the church, are the Jeroboam in the story. Idolatry and apostasy. They will consume both at the end of the story. Are you listening? The Bible is clear that idolatry and apostasy will consume both Jeroboam, its history, and church, its future, when the story ends. They will both have fallen into idolatry and apostasy. I want to prove it to you. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. He's the Apostle of the Gentiles. By the way, he's, he's the guy who, who wrote under the Spirit Romans 11, which is the picture of that olive tree. He's writing it to the Gentile church 
And this text is about the Gentile church in the last days. Are you ready? Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what's he talking about? Jesus is coming, number one, and number two, how we, the church, will be gathered to meet him when he comes. Two things he's talking about. These are end days, end of times, last days. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim they've had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, what day? That Jesus comes and the church is gathered. That day will not come until there's a great rebellion. There it is. The return of Christ will be preceded by a great rebellion against God, and then the man of lawlessness, he's the Antichrist, will be revealed. And when he is revealed, when the church is gathered to Christ, the man, after the rebellion, the church will be gathered, the man of lawlessness will be revealed, and notice the last phrase, the one who brings destruction. That's the tribulation. So let me ask everybody a question. Listen, listen carefully. Who do you think will be leading the rebellion when the Antichrist is revealed? Let me say it again. Who do you think will be leading the worldwide rebellion that is referred to in that text when the Antichrist is revealed? The apostate church. Worshiping their golden calves. Worshiping their idols. And I need to say something. I am fearful that many hear this message and still don't understand what idolatry is when the heart is drawn away. In the New Testament, you know what Paul calls idolatry in the New Testament? Materialism. The accumulation of stuff. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have any golden calves? Your heart is drawn away to a on a place that one day will disappear. You don't need so much stuff. This is from Gallup, the polling organization, March 2021. Listen carefully. For the first time in 80 years, Gallup has found that less than half of the U.S. adults belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. American membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. U.S. membership was 73% when Gallup first measured it in 1937. So let me throw that out specifically. In 1937, 73% of Americans attended a church. 1937. And it remained near 70% for the next six decades before a steady decline around the turn of the 21st century. The decline in membership is due to not only a decline in religious Americans belonging to a church, but also an increase in Americans who do not follow any religion at all. Now, this is from George Barna, March 19th, 2022, last year. This one just floors me. Four out of ten 
That's 41% of senior pastors in America. That'd be like me. 41% of people who hold positions like me in the church today have a biblical worldview. You know what biblical worldview means? That you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, the Bible is truth. 41% of pastors leading churches in America today have a biblical worldview. Now, it gets worse. If you go down to associate pastors, they were in the same survey, and they are at 28% of associate pastors. So I want you to consider something. That typically, typically, not always true, typically associate pastors are younger than as old senior pastors. So if 41% of us old guys still believe in the Bible, now it's a little younger generation, now it's 28%. It gets worse. 12% of the youth and children ministry have a biblical worldview. Are you ready? Here it comes. The apostasy is now. It is now. In our generation. In our generation. Only 41% of people my age or in my classification in a church believe in the Bible. But by the time you come down to the kids, some of y'all can be scared to send your kids to children's ministry. That doesn't apply here. Our guys, it is a prerequisite that the Word of God is truth. It is a prerequisite. You are safe sending your kids to children's ministry. Barna closes out his survey with this statement. Listen. This is another strong piece of evidence that the culture is influencing the American church more than the Christian church is influencing the culture. Idolatry and apostasy. To reject the glorious offer of God to become part of His eternal kingdom. The Gentiles on the outside can get on the inside and be part of this tree of life. And no, when I say being part of a royal kingdom, I am not talking about King David. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a royal kingdom that is going to reign in Jerusalem. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Revelation 22:16. Jesus. Revelation 22, that's the last chapter in Revelation. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message to whom? Who's the message to? To the church. Because she's not listening. She's not listening. I give this message to the church. I am both the source of David. I'm the one that gave him the throne. And I am the heir of David. I will be the one who holds the throne for eternity. I am the bright morning star. Are you listening to him? Is your heart devoted to him? Does it matter? Nothing else is going to matter. King Jesus has sent a message to the church. Did you get it? It's called the New Testament. It's called the New Covenant. A chance, an open door for outsiders to find their place in the eternal kingdom of Christ. A chance for no bloodline outsiders to find a place on the tree of life in the kingdom of heaven. A door is opened. A branch was broken off for you to come in. You can't do it your way. You cannot do it your way. You cannot enter this kingdom your way. Idolatry and apostasy are man's way of entering the kingdom. It won't work. It never worked. 
to abandon the name Jesus and to abandon the Word of God that reveals the Son of God is to choose. It is to close the door that God has opened through His Son. It is to close the very door that gives you life. Here's the last scripture today, Revelation 3, 7. Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy. This is the message to, from the one who is true. The one who has the key of David. He's the king. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know. He's saying this to the church. I know all the things you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, and yet you did two things right. Two things. I know you have little strength, Jesus says to the church, but there's two things. Ultimately, there's two things. And they are the opposite of apostasy and idolatry. He says, you have kept my name and you have kept my word. You have kept my name and my word. They are not for sale. They are not for negotiation. Jesus holds the key. Unless Chad to come on out for the invitation. He has the key of David. And I'm going to tell you, that scripture to the church of Philadelphia is very clear. When he opens the door, nobody can shut it. And when he shuts the door, no one will open it. And everybody, listen carefully to this closing. Right now, the door is open for you, Gentiles, me, Gentiles, no bloodline, nobody people to come and get a place on the tree of life. But you will get it by his name and by his word only. You will not get it your way. You will come because the door is open. Mercy and grace is called your name. Are you on that tree? If you are not on that tree, you are lost forever. You will surely, surely die, and you will go to the darkness of hell. And that's the truth. But here's one more point. When he closes the door, no one will open it. In the same scripture, Romans, he says that one day the full number of Gentiles will come in. The last place on the tree will be taken and the door will close. I believe that's a reference to the rapture of the church. Are you in? Is your heart belong to him? So we're going to sing an invitation. I know there's two people already being baptized this morning. They're already getting ready to go backstage. Today is the day of salvation. Who would turn down this glorious offer to be a part of this tree? Let's stand. Let's stand. The invitation's open.